A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, The kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, Magic, and Mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. everybody welcome to another episode of the comic source i'm your host jace special guest today returning to the show somebody i love talking craft and comics with my pleasure to welcome ryan parrot back to the show ryan good to see you, man always good to be here man thank you yeah so uh right before we started working a little bit on uh some power <laughs> rangers stuff so you're on mighty morphin for like three years mm. uh, and then took over uh, the regular power rangers title but then decided you had to scale back was part of that because you just want to focus on some of your own create your own stuff some of it yeah um yeah it, i've actually been doing power rangers for six years uh oh, wow. yeah because i started with gogo and then went from gogo okay, into gotcha. yeah so i did like 32 issues of gogo then i did uh then i started with mighty morphin did mighty or mighty morphin power rangers because if i shorten it, it doesn't make any sense mighty morphin power rangers for like 15 and then and gogo Right. Yeah. 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 So go get and then Ben Morphin Powers were 15 and then they split the series. And then I did 32 issues of Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, ultimately, I, I sort of the, after we finished the Altarian War, I was like, I would love maybe a little bit of a break. And also, I think it was just like, you know, I can't be the only voice on the Power Rangers, which is like as much as I as much as that makes it easier on me because I don't have to check with anybody else. Um, but it, it was nice to be able to give somebody else a chance to sort of play with the toys a little bit. So I just felt like, yeah, it was probably not a bad idea to sort of to step back. And then and then obviously with the announcement yesterday, um, it just felt like as we were figuring out the last arc that I was working on, it, it just felt like sort of a natural endpoint. So I was like, yeah, this seems like a good stop, a good spot to, to step away. Yeah, I, I, I was a little surprised uh, when I heard the news, but not totally shocked because I like you said, you know, you, you had talked about moving off of uh, Mighty Morphin. I'm glad you used that word voice because that's a lot of what I want to kind of focus, focus on as we transition to talking about 
Rogue Son, because uh, it's true. I mean, Mighty Morphin is a, a Power Rangers beloved property, uh, but just just like Kyle did, Kyle Higgins, mm-hmm. you know, you leave when you're on top, right? Don't make, <laughs> don't dra- drag, uh, don't make them drag you kicking and screaming. I'm glad you still think I'm on top. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. <laughs> well, and, and and like you said, there are other voices, there are other creators that maybe want to uh, put their stamp yeah. in it. And it's such a great community. The, you know, I'm sure they'll be welcoming to, you know, whoever do you, do you know? I mean, obviously you probably can't say if you do, but do you know who they're passing the baton to? I actually don't. Not at this point oh, now. Wow. Yeah, I do not know. Um, uh, which is, I'm very excited for whoever that is. I will definitely be available to them if they want to talk and, and have thoughts about places they could go if they ever have the, but yeah, at this point they, they have not told me who they've, who they've chosen. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, like I said, get back to this idea of a voice. You've always had a voice that I've really enjoyed, whether it's kind of the fantastical superhero stuff of uh, Mighty Morphin or going more leaning to the, the fantasy stuff with Oberon or sci-fi with Volition. Uh, a different take on the superhero with Rogue Son, uh, <laughs> which may be more emotional and sort of intimate, but yet there's the possibility for this epic scope as you're building out like rogues gallery for rogue son and obviously he's uh, a legacy hero and we'll get into all that but before we do we probably should remind listeners uh, for anybody who's not familiar uh, with the series what's your elevator pitch if somebody asks you what it's about how do you describe it uh, so, yeah, the quick pitch for Rogue Son is uh, it's a superhero book set in New Orleans. Uh, present day follows a 17 year old kid named Dylan uh, Siegel, who uh, grew up without a dad. He's not a particularly nice kid. Uh, I've said before, uh, most people who do tell stories, they tell stories about kids who get thrown into lockers. My story is about the kid who puts them in there. Uh, and so he's he's never had his dad around. He's, he's a little bit of a he's a I don't like, can we swear on here? Can you swear? Yeah. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. Um, And then he finds out one day uh, from a lawyer that his dad has passed away. And so he goes to the will reading and discovers that his dad was, in fact, a superhero and has left him his powers. Uh, And so whenever he wants. And so he gets to be a superhero. And the only problem is in order to do that, he uh, has to navigate um, whenever he puts the suit on. He has to navigate uh, his father standing next to him as like this fully rendered ghost. And so it's basically like the pitch I have is, would you want to be a superhero if it meant you had to work with the person you hated the most in the world? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's action packed. It has beautiful art from an artist named Abel. And at this point, I'm going to give it my highest possible recommendation until everybody listening, if you have not read it, but it sounds like something you want to read, pause the podcast, go and read it (laughs) and then come back because we're going to go spoiler here. Oh, great. Awesome. uh, Especially because we got to talk about the end of four. We won't get to that right away, but it's an awesome cliffhanger, everybody. So I don't, I want you to have the full impact. I want you to say, holy shit, when you see it, like I did. So pause it now, go check it out, come back and listen to the rest. So that being said, uh, issue four, like you said, Dylan has been a, a dick the entire time. He's not yeah. a sympathetic character when you first meet him. No. Uh, and you don't get that sense in issue two or issue three, but in issue four, there's a little bit of Crap, almost like a little chink in the armor. He's fighting this villain, uh, Demonica, who his half sister, who wasn't estranged from their father, uh, basically set free because she wants the sunstone that gives the rogue sun powers herself. Uh, and that's sort of this reveal that she sort of have, has betrayed her half brother. So, what's interesting, Demonica, she kind of feeds on like emotions and, and souls and whatnot. Mm-hmm. She gives us a perspective on Dylan that we don't have before about how, you know, he's very self-obsessed but also there's this insecurity you know Mm -hmm. maybe coming from the fact that he didn't have a father he felt abandoned 
Uh, there's some self-hatred, you know, he doesn't like himself any more than we do. And that's really the first time in the series where I maybe started to feel bad. There's there a little sympathy I had for, for Dylan. So is that something you obviously had in mind from the beginning about, hey, he, he, we're going to take him on a journey. It's going to be very emotional. Yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, I always wanted to make him somebody that would hopefully grow. Um, I, I definitely I knew very clearly from the beginning he was going to be not a good person. And I wanted it because I, I would like the idea because like I also felt like, you know, there's so many of the superhero books out there. If you want to go read a story about the good, the the nerd with a heart of gold or the, the you know, the, the outsider who has a great moral compass, like there's a thousand of those books. And I just felt like I don't need to tell that story that's being told by better writers than me on better books. Um, but I thought there was not opportunity to sort of do something different. And so my my thought process was like, I I don't necessarily think you need to empathize with every character, but you need to understand them. Mm -hmm. And my goal was hopefully that by the fourth issue, you would have a good sense of understanding why Dylan is the way that he is. Um, and that was one of the reasons we brought Demonica in for the fourth issue with that idea of sort of that sort of emotional empath, sort of like she sort of like smells your soul. And if she and and all of those sort of deep seated hidden feelings like she she likes those like a like a wine, like the idea that like if like the more you have, the more weird emotions you have inside, the better you taste. And so the idea that she would it was also an interesting way to be able to sort of talk about those people and their emotions. And if you listen to everything Demonica says about uh, you'll see it a little bit in five too. Like if you see everything she's saying, I'm giving you very clear signs about the, the, who these people are underneath the layers. Um, but yeah, that was, and that was so actually a friend of mine, Nick Cotton, who's going to be writing um, uh, Rogue Son number seven. He came in and gave me some of the ideas on for that. He was like, you should use this character like that. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So it was nice to have that, but yes, he's definitely going to hopefully arc into somebody. I don't know if he'll ever be like the standard superhero. Cause like, that's just not interesting. I, right. I definitely, but like, I, I, I don't think he will be, I, I guess my hope is once you get through this first arc, this sixth issue, you'll see and understand why he is the way he is. And hopefully you will start to empathize with him and you will start to see, okay, well, you know, he's, it's not all bad, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it's okay if he, if he continually has an edge, I mean, you know, we are who we are yeah. and certainly like I said, his, you know, his father for all his heroism of being a rogue son and, you know, self-sacrificing and whatnot, he gave up his first family. I mean, his uh, mom talks about it to Dylan uh, when, you know, he finds out he, his father was rogue son and he passed away. She's like, yeah, he, he was rogue son. I knew from the beginning and I felt like he left us because he wanted to protect us, but then he goes and starts another family and that kind of shoots that idea out of the water. So it's not like this, you know, impression that people had of rogue son being the super heroic, you know, good guy, you know, a, a Superman analog that that's not necessarily true either. Marcus no. Bell he had his flaws too. Yeah. Marcus is, is <laughs> Marcus is not a great guy either. <laughs> uh, there's a scene I really like in, I think it's in four where uh, his Gwen, his um, Dylan's mother says um, Marcus thought because he saved people that they owed him. And I just thought that was such an interesting concept to look at for a superhero. And this idea that like, if you continually save people over and over again, would you ever, start to look at them as just sheep that needed to be saved. And if that was the case, would you basically take what you wanted? And like, it's like, I saved your life. So I get to do, 
and treat you any way that I wanted. And I thought there was like there's like a little bit of a contempt there. Um, he still does it. So I guess that's a good thing. But I like the idea that if you did something for a really long time, it's like if I just keep saving people who from, you know, from it's like at some point, would you turn and go, would you please stop stepping into traffic? You know what yeah. I mean? Like and I yeah. felt like there was something interesting about Marcus's concept for that, how he would sort of see look down on people a little bit. And I think you would get a sense as to why he is the way that he is. He's 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 not a great dad either. He's made now, obviously, as you get into five and six and going forward in the series, you'll start to learn that some layers in him as well. And um, and and that the reason he left might not be as um, clean cut as uh, I don't think it's as it, it was either good or evil. I think I have an idea of the why he left um, and you'll probably get that at some point down the line, but it's not as clean cut as like. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I think it's it's it, you'll have to take it with a grain of salt. So it sounds like it's a it's a human thing, which is what I love about this story because again, it's it's family drama that's so you know dynamic and and relatable. Uh, you know, Marcus. The other part of this, you know, we haven't mentioned yet about him. You know, his two uh, children from his second marriage, who you know, kind of very much have him up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't see those flaws that he has. Either one of them really would have believe they would have gotten the the sunstone it would have been them that were were going to be the legacy hero as opposed to this uh you know estranged son from his first marriage marcus comes straight out and tells uh dylan when dylan confronts him about it hey, well why why did you pick me you know and it's not because hey i wanted to connect with the son that i shouldn't have abandoned or what have you it's like no i think the reason i'm dead is because somebody close to me is responsible i don't know you Therefore, let me let me use you. I was like, yeah. what a shitty thing to do. Oh, yeah. He's terrible. He literally tells him I picked you because I, I knew there'd be a target on your back. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that to the kids that I've I raised. And it's just like, thanks, man. <laughs> like, he's just you're just not the best guy in the world. Uh, those guys. My goal was to try and put Marcus and Dylan as far apart as possible to start the series. And then hopefully over time, realize the weird thing is like there's also a line, I think. I think it's in six it, or maybe it's in four. Oh no, it's in four. Uh, it's a, uh, Ari, uh, Ari says, um, you know, for someone who sure hate, hates my dad, you sure do sound like him. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was just like, yeah, yeah, he does. Like he sounds just like him and he is a lot like his dad, even if he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. That's on my list of things to, to bring up about how you know, Marcus did not raise Dylan. And it goes to that whole idea of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, even if you, because they are so alike. And I feel like part of this journey that Dylan's going to go on and maybe when he'll start to, if not accept who his father was or embrace it, at least understand it, is that throughout this journey, he's got to start to think, man, my father and I actually have a lot in common. Yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be. Real interest, especially, I think, when you get to who who actually killed Rogue Son, Uh, you know, like I think that will start to really like open Dylan's eyes as to his perception of his dad and what's true, what's not, what's he seen, what's he been told, that kind of stuff. I think that will probably be the first step towards, oh, wait a minute, maybe I wasn't 100 percent sure about this. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about that again. I'm going to warn right. everybody. We're going to spoil <laughs> the biggest of, uh, beat, sorry, beat of the series so far at the end of uh, last page on on issue number four. So, again, go read it first if you haven't uh, and then come back and listen to the rest of this, because my other thought about this is we're talking about sort of the complicated characters and how they're all sort of real and nobody's all good or all bad. But maybe the the person in the series who was 
most good. Most good. Yeah. Super most good. Grand, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Marcus's first wife, Dylan's mom. And then the bombshell drops that the person we see that killed Marcus in the first issue was his, his ex-wife, Dylan's yeah. mom. Obviously, you knew. What is it? I mean, Kyle did the same thing, pulled the rug out from under some Radiant Black issue four. And here you are, Rogue Sun issue four. That must have been, you must have been highly anticipating getting that issue out and seeing the reaction people are going to have. Yeah, I was actually a little nervous because I, I, I don't, it was, she was always the killer. Like she was the killer from the very, very beginning. Um, uh, and I, I was like, man, I hope I didn't wait too long. <laughs> like, I, was just, I was like, I hope I didn't wait. I hope people didn't like get lost in the, because the thing is I, I wanted to be a good, I wanted to be a murder mystery, but then I was also like, you know, I, I thought, man, it's, it's once we, I knew that once I told people who the killer was, I could finally tell people that the whole point of Rogue Son was that it's a metaphor for a messy divorce. That's what it is. It's about, you know, two parents who are fighting over a child without realizing it and 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 what it does to that. I'm, my parents divorced when I was a kid. It was a very messy divorce. Um, and I've been on sides where both parents talk equally bad about the other one. Um, and so and, and, it, and it's really hard. It's hard for you to find because the people that you're supposed to look up to, the people that are supposed to give you that moral ground and, and stuff, you know what they're saying isn't true. And you and you and they're they're turning you against people you're supposed to love. And I just thought there was something really interesting about doing that and so once we got to this point i knew like like when you read issue five issue five goes there's some flashbacks in five so you'll start to see a little bit of the history of of marcus and gwen and and how that happened and what their relationship was a little bit like um and hopefully that'll get some insight into kind of where the story is going to go and and why dylan feels the way he does and all that stuff so but yeah i I was really happy because it felt like it, 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 although the funny thing is I, uh, the one thing I've gotten like there's sort of be, seems to be two groups of people. There's the, if you like the series, it's like you really like, Oh, Dylan. But the people who give bad reviews of the series, they just hate Dylan. And, <laughs> and it's okay. If you hate Dylan, I, that's just not your book. I totally understand that. That's, that's fine. Um, but I've had a one or two people who are just like, well, thank God, at least the mother is a good person in the book because everybody else is a jerk. <laughs> and I was like, man, four is going to be fun. <laughs> well, it goes back to what I was saying about how intimate and personal this feels like, it feels like we're sort of a fly on the wall of this dysfunctional family and the relatability of it. The realism is, is we as humans are so flawed. We all have good and bad aspects, you know? And yeah, I, I, it wasn't when it got revealed, obviously it really surprised me, but at the same time, it, when I stopped to think about it, I was like, okay, she's holding the grudge. Like you said, yeah. you know? Um, so it was, even though it was surprising, it was very believable. Yeah. There's a, there's a thing that I haven't, this is the first time I've actually really talked about it. So like I might be spoiling some stuff. So I apologize. Um, but there's a thing, if you go back and you watch, um, go back and read Supermassive, um, there's a flash forward in when um, when Marcus gets hit by the energy monster and he sees his own, he sees his own funeral. And if you go look at the page, there's Dylan and there's Gwen. And if you look behind Gwen, Cataclysm is standing in the shadows behind her. Yeah. So it's right there very clearly that I was like, yeah, look right there. We <laughs> talked about whether or not we should have Dylan there. But then I was like, cause it's not, cause they even say they weren't at the funeral, but I was like, mm -hmm. that's fine. It's not the point. It's a, it's a, it's a dream. Right. Um, but I wanted it to be there. And um, there's a point to this. Oh, but uh, the other thing is I, I was, I was trying to get to was this idea that like, there's a very, like he has that 
Yeah, well, I'll spoil. That's a spoil. I can't say that. Yeah, I forgot. We're not. Five hasn't come out yet, so I, I, I you'll, that'll be clear in five. Yeah, but like, yeah, I, yeah. I always knew it was going to be her, and I, and I definitely wanted it to be. Um, I, I think if you go back and once you know it's her, go back and read everything she's saying. Like, it's pretty clean. Like, in the sense that she's, she doesn't want. It's why she does it. Is is really she doesn't want Marcus anywhere near her son. Really? Yeah. So I did reread, go back. So I hadn't gone back and reread everything since I read for until uh, earlier this week, just in preparation. And yeah, it, it puts after you've read for, if you go back and we did the same thing uh, that uh, Rocky, my co-host who's on sometimes uh, we did the same thing with, uh, with radiant black. Once four happened, we went back and reread everything with that context. Mm-hmm. So did the same thing with rogue son. And yeah, it does put more of a, kind of an edge on the things that Gwen says, you know, you're not your father. I don't want him anywhere. You know, it, it really kind of cements the fact that it's interesting because again, very believable. It's like, she doesn't, it's clear there's animosity there yeah, with, uh, with Marcus, but at the same time, I think she feels that knowing the way Dylan is, if she tries to tell him too much, don't do this thing. Don't, you know, spend time with your father. Don't talk to your father. Dylan's the kind of kid that will do it out of spite. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. So it, it works really, really well on that level. Yeah. There was stuff in some of the early drafts that was a little more on the nose. That was like, like little hints as to her, but I got a little gun shy at the last minute. And I was like, I don't want people to guess it. Like, cause to me, it felt like a really obvious person. It's like, who's going to kill the guy, the dad. It's like, Oh, the person that, that got let that, that he left and ruined their life. And like, it just seems like that's a very personal reason. So if I had just been some random supervillain, I think it would have been like, Oh sure. Okay. So, it, but it needed to be somebody close. It needed to be somebody there. Um, but yeah, it was always, it was, I, I, I kind of wish I'd had other, I, I was like, I feel like I don't have any other really good red herrings. I had to really work hard to make Brock the red herring in three. I thought, yeah, I was like, okay, worked. yeah, okay. It good. totally works. That's why he's uh, such a jerk. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, it, you know, Ari seemed like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's comes across as like this very goody goody. But she could tell she wanted the sons, like maybe even more that Brock did. I mean, Brock younger and kind of hero worshiping and, you know, obviously has this idealized version of his father and obviously you'd want to follow in his footsteps. So you could kind of understand the immaturity there. But Ari, it seemed more like she would maybe scheme to do, you know, to do this. Well, her, I think for her, I didn't think she actually wanted the Sunstone as much as I think the moment that that Dylan comes to her in the second issue and was like, I want to get ri- like my dad's in the in the gym and right. I want to get rid of him. And and she's like, you want like then she tells him a story about how much she loves her father. Mm-hmm. And it's like and I think that's the moment she's like, if and then when later on, he's like, is my dad here? Can I talk to him? And he's like, you know, he doesn't want to speak to you. <laughs> that's the moment she's like, I don't she wants she's she's trying to protect. She even says it. She's the one who's trying to protect their fathers from I think that was the moment she was like I like I want the stone because I want my dad back I don't want you to destroy him like I don't think she wants to be a superhero I think she think that she wants to she wants to protect the, the last piece of the dad that she knew yeah or maybe have another chance to exactly you know, exactly talk to yeah him. yeah another dick move by Dylan too like no reason <laughs> to say well you know if you got a Ferrari but you're at if you got a Ferrari and then you're the only time you could drive it was with your dad or your mom sitting next to you who no, was terrified yeah. you'd be like can I just get rid of her so I can have the Ferrari yeah no 100 100 but still man you should at least 
be willing as long as the dad's there to you know share mm-hmm. some thoughts that he has with his his daughter it's yeah it's yeah well the other aspect of this um and going kind of going back a little bit to, to power rangers not not that you and kyle didn't infuse that because you go back to the show it's very sort of two-dimensional black and white and uh you know you followed in kyle's footsteps and bring in some gray areas and you know more real emotional realism to it but it still always has that sort of fantastical and a little more black right. and white sort of feel uh this feels very traditional superhero in terms of action and i mentioned the rogues gallery you're building obviously there's this really intimate um subtext of complicated emotion and relationships and whatnot uh how tough is that to balance making sure it's still you know entertaining on that you know super heroic level uh, or is that the fun of of putting it together i think it's always a little difficult like i i, I tend to try and unfortunately put too much action in sometimes i was like action for action's sake because i'm like it'll be boring i'm like no one no i always feel bad for able i don't want able to have to just draw two people standing in a room talking to each other so i'm like can they be fighting a giant monster where they talk and about their feelings and so that's my goal always is just trying to figure out a way to, to get that stuff but yeah i think the more you can the more that you can infuse the emotional stuff the more like it's it's funny in 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 six in the sixth issue there's a very much like i was having a really hard figuring out time figuring out what i was trying to write and then my wife came in and was like we talked about she's like what's the story about and i was like well it's about a messy divorce she's like well then what do messy divorces look like and i was like well it's and then it was like well it's about parents revealing really bad things to the kid like my like i won't get into it my mom once told me something that about my that my father told her after they got divorced that i like held like it broke me i cried and it was awful and i remember i asked him about it like years later and he was like i never said that that's the that's a complete lie and she's like she just didn't li-. And, and, and but like and then i was like but i go but you've lied to me he's like that's not the point <laughs> so, but that's the point um if my parents are on this podcast i'm sorry guys we're just fishing all the, that stuff but anyways my point was like that's what i wanted to be i was like let's make it emotional let's make it let's make it real let's try. i always feel like the more you can put that's the nice thing about superheroes right in general is like and i felt like i learned that with power rangers is like the story seems to work best when you take your normal problems in your life, the things that we all struggle with, the things that we all are trying for, and you take those and you personify them as villains or monsters. And then you use those as ways to have your characters deal with that in a way other than seeing a shrink. You know, if you can figure out a way to have them punch the monster as a way of dealing with their own insecurities, that's the good story. Cause that's what we're all dealing with. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, uh, it allows you to be able to have fun creating this rogues gallery. As I mentioned, we've already seen a hillbilly vampire werewolf. Oh yeah. Uh, and now we've got Demonica, this kind of, uh, I guess, vampiric empath. I would be. The, yeah. The she's person. a soul sucking vampire yeah. who feeds on people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as you're designing this, how, how much is able the artist uh, that, uh, that you mentioned that's uh, collaborating on the series, how much is he involved in the initial creative process in terms of, like, do you bring them in right away to help have the visual of, of what they're going to look like, help inform their powers and, and who they are? Or do you kind of flesh that out first and then hand it off to him? What's that process like? It's like 50-50, actually. Sometimes for for, psych, for, uh, for Blood Moon, I very much was like, hey, it's a, it's a vampire werewolf hybrid. And he was like, cool, here's three designs. And he just sent me three concepts and we picked the one and then we worked it back and forth. And then for like, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, for Swab, I had, a, for Swab, that was my concept. I was like, I want the helmet. I want the suit. I wanted the contrast. Um, but then when there's a new villain for Seven that I literally was just like, hey, I, I have a time traveling villain. 
And I was like, go with it. And they sent me the coolest design I've seen so far. And it was like, I had no notes. In fact, it, and that was right night neat is that I didn't really know what the villain was. And then once I saw the design, I was like, okay. And then that started to, that started to sort of inform on the way we wrote it. So sometimes for, so for some early of the villains, it was more like, Hey, these are my con. This is what I'm thinking. And then sometimes he'll just do the design and it completely changes the way that I think about the character, which is kind of fun. So, um, because he is so good at the design stuff, like he really, it's so nice. Like I told you, Rogue Son was one pass. So it's like, oh man, yeah. it's, it's, it's so nice when you, uh, when you can get somebody who you're not like, you, there's, you know, when you go back 50 times, <laughs> it's, it's really great. Well, the other thing about his art, you know, we mentioned, the, you know, the action, which he draws action, amazing fights. I think Rogue Son's power set leans into his strength, you know, with the flames that are always mm-hmm. coming off of him and, you know, the, the uh, flame blasts and whatnot, because it, it just, it really helps the line work to jump off the page. But the other part of it with this kind of emotionality that the story has, it needs to, the art needs to be a little more gritty, you know, and yeah. this goes to the, the color work as well. If it were really primary colors and, you know, sort of that traditional Silver Age look, it, it wouldn't. I don't think the emotionality would land as, as much. So I, the fact that he has a little grittiness, uh, especially I notice when he draws Marcus's face, you know, there's always like lines in the, in the jaw and whatnot. And it really helps to sell that uh, emotion. So, I mean, you, you must've just be over the moon when you get new pages in. Oh, I mean, I, I think I literally just sent uh, Abel a text yesterday. I was like, man, you're so good. <laughs> like, I was just like, he just sent me a page and just two people talking in the page. And I was like, dude, nailed it. Like, that's awesome. Way to go. And like, he can, he's really, really talented and super easy to work with. Uh, but every, to be fair, like this sounds like, I'm sure, look, every writer who comes on these things is going to tell you how amazing their group is, <laughs> but mine actually is. Uh, but like, 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 like Abel's art is fantastic. Uh, Chris O'Halloran, who does the, who did the, he, he did the colors for the first four issues. He's unfortunately had to step away because he's so dang good that he's doing this stuff uh, that well, he set such a great tone with like the muted color palette, which I really love. Like, it's not like I worked in Power Rangers, which was near the end of my run was getting very fluorescent and like, very, and like, it's just, that's what that book's about. It's like right. big colors. I mean, the, the colors are the identity of the character. So that stuff's really important and big and flashy. And, 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 and it comes from the super Sentai background. So you've got a lot of that anime energy. Right. And what I loved is that like Chris found a way to give us that energy, but to give it with, out it needing to be you know super vibrant he, he kept it all muted there's a page that he chris did i think it's in the first or second it's a second issue it's when rogue son uh finally starts beating down blood moon and he did it all with the whole panels are all yellow mm-hmm. and you can literally see the anger and the, the and i was all just something chris decided to do and i loved it so much i was like man that is that is that is taking an emotion. You're painting an emotion. And I love that so much. And then Becca with um, uh, Becca doing her art like her like she brought such an interesting sort of like punky vibe to sort of like the lettering and the stuff like that. She's that changes the aesthetic, too. And it's funny, like I, as like the quote unquote co-creator of the book, like. I've always felt like I should have already known all those things. Like I shouldn't have been able to tell them everything, <laughs> right. but like, I don't, I just was like, Hey, what do you think? And then they, 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 they bring their own energy and their, their own influ- influences and their own background to it. And like, it's so cool when you get, when you get really talented people who can do that because you don't have to come up with everything. Right. You get to take credit for all of it, but, <laughs> but like, it's so nice to work with people who all have like a shared vision and have a shared understanding and they can all, they're also additive. Like, it's just, it's really, really nice. Yeah. Becca for, 
working like a carry, for yeah. such a yeah such a yeah. short period of time yeah we've talked about her on the podcast a, a lot it's great great and a lot of, i am blown away by the things that she does again considering she hasn't been around i mean obviously she she uh who was it that she mentored under i'm drawing a blank right now well, i don't clayton, know was it clayton cowles i think maybe was, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah um yeah because he's worked on a lot of kyle's books uh in the past and he, he kyle told me he's like yeah clayton was just too busy but he suggests his Be- becca and yeah she's she's uh she's amazing and what a lot of a lot of people don't realize or remind everybody i say this all the time uh, when it comes to lettering that the way that a book is lettered and the placement of the balloons really affects the pacing oh, yeah. of the story and with a story like yours with so much emotion you want time and space for those beats to land uh and she nails it yeah and also, I, I think the other thing that's sort of underrated in lettering is like the composition of a page. You know, this idea of like where you put like letters, like where you move the balloons um, is a little bit of an art into itself. Like, it, you know, just like like I remember there's one in what she does something in like the fourth issue where the she has the the balloon tail go behind the back of another character. It's just someone who's talking behind their back. And I was like, that's such a great little thing that she did. It's like a tiny little clever thing I never would have thought of. And I was like, that's really smart. But like little things that are just like there's like a, it's subtle. And if you can pay attention to it and they can make a scene like if, you, if the if the balloons are on the wrong spot on a on a panel, it can throw the whole thing off. It can feel wrong and it can hurt the art. And but also it can also like really prop it up. It can make things feel natural and and clean in a way that like you can never really guess at and 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 you just it's a it's a very underappreciated talent uh yeah i say it all the time they're kind of like baseball umpires yeah they should do their job you don't see what they're doing right exactly yeah exactly but we can talk all day about my feelings about referees and umpires in this country they do not get enough they do not get enough uh don't protection from us <laughs> no they don't they don't and they don't get enough credit when they do a good job but exactly. when they do a bad job everybody, everybody hates them notice yep. right just like if a comic is poorly lettered you may not be able to point out why it doesn't work but you're like man this is a slog to read or you know it's not working or, or whatever so uh but going back to to uh to chris's colors i think my favorite colored scene because again this did start off as a bit of a murder mystery it was the the scene with brock and the witch doctor Mm, yeah, that's colored. So just creepy, like they're almost in a swamp and, you know, it's it's at night and just, yeah, the color choices he made, the kind of the greens and browns, uh, I think really worked for me. Uh, yeah, he's Chris. Is, yeah, fantastic. I, Abaddon Park, if you've never been to Abaddon Park, I'm probably mispronouncing it to anybody in New Orleans. I apologize. Uh, but that has such a great uh, we I that's what I proposed to my wife. And like you walk around those 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 really long trees. like the nice thing about New Orleans has like two things that are very specific New Orleans. All of the um, if you go to the, the into the buildings, you have those those the the balconies and the, the the outside structures like those are no other city looks like that. And then I think the trees in the city, like they have those those the moss and sort of those sl- sw- like swampy kind of feel. Those are very New Orleans as well. So like I wanted to always make sure that I keep trying to put stuff that's very new orleans in the series and then obviously i'm sorry the third thing would be the above ground graves obviously but like that's the thing like since i don't live currently in new orleans i and they don't have enough i'm looking for issues to go back i want to try and make sure i keep putting the influences of the city in there because i don't want it just to be any town usa i want it to keep being the town that i that i love so much yeah i've been twice once very recently uh and the first time I was in college and I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to talk about making that choice to, to set it there. And now that you mentioned the trees, that was one of the things I noticed because the first time I was there was in college with the lacrosse team. We didn't do a lot of driving around this time. It was for uh, 
my day job and I did a lot of driving around and I yeah, those cypress trees, man, they are just huge. The mangrove trees, same thing. Yeah. They're very, they're, they're just awesome. And I, I left there thinking, man, I wish we had those in Arizona. Obviously the climate is nowhere. Oh, yeah. They would die so fast. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what, what was behind the thinking? Is it just that you love uh, New Orleans? Like what's your history with the city? Why, why set this story there? Um, the, I mean, the shortest answer is, is, is that, uh, so my wife worked on, was a, te- was a television writer. She works on, uh, she worked on preacher. And so, uh, she was out there filming her episode and we'd been together for a while. And I was like, I'm going to propose. That's where this is, this is, that's what's a wonderful city. And so I went out there for two weeks while she was doing her episode and just hung out in the hotel. And I wrote and wandered the city during the day and would go to bars at night and, and just ha- and I fell in love with it. I had such a wonderful time there. And I, what I love about the city so much is it's, it's obviously a large, it's a large city, but it's got such great rings. It, the center of the city is very touristy and, and, uh, you know, there's obviously bourbon street and Jacksonville, Jackson Square and all that stuff like that. And you, so you have this sort of very touristy area in the middle. And then one ring outside of that, you get most of the jazz clubs. You get a lot of the music festival stuff. And then, and then every ring out, then another ring outside of that. Now you get sort of the older city. The city's really old and has a lot of great history and culture. Um, and what I love, and then also, and then the other part that's underneath all of it is sort of the, there's the voodoo and sort of the supernatural vibes. And so it gives you all of those four things in the sense that like, it's not Gotham City but it has there's just a little bit of that that like if there was ever a place that was going to fight a world you probably fight him in new york in 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 new orleans right. not new york or chicago or california and so it just felt like such a great little place to do all this um and also just because i just loved the visuals of it all i just felt like there's so many great things that you can use that are so specifically that city um i was like this is it gives you everything you want um i can do I can do the touristy stuff. I can do the car that you, know, you have the uh, street cars. And it's like, there's just like all those cool little visuals that make it feel unique and real. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's very true. There's no, no place, no place I've ever been. And I've traveled a lot for, for my day job. Uh, it, the city really has a, a life of its own. Yeah. And I would say it's a very, it's a very vibrant city as well, but there's always that kind of undertone of, of menace, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you see it in, uh, you know, TV shows or, or movies or that, that kind of thing. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, this idea of, first of all, how long it's been around, but how from its very beginnings, there's been this supernatural, whether it's, you know, voodoo or even some of the Christianity roots in the, in the yeah. city. The, mis- that, the, the, yeah. the, uh, the missionaries and whatnot. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. The, and the, and the mosque. And then there's the nuns that have that main city. They have the main, um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, the monastery in the middle of the city, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it, it has all, that's what's so cool. Like you go there, I could spend another two weeks there and learn a whole bunch more stuff. And if I ever, if I, the book's still around, I'm definitely going to use that as an excuse to go down there and do that. Um, but that's what I love. Like it has so much stuff in it that does feel so specifically New Orleans. And, 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 you know, that's why I always kind of laugh when I see it's, it's used so much for movies and TV. And I'm like, are you trying to pretend that's any other city than New Orleans? Come on, man. (laughs) It's actually surprises me that we don't have more uh, books. I mean, I think probably the one that, that had New Orleans, the the, the property that people might know, or or the property that felt most tied was shadow man from Valiant back in the day, Totally Um, into the whole jazz thing and whatnot. But uh, well, we've talked about the the big beat. You talked a little bit about uh, some of the fan reaction. Overall, how has the reaction to the series been? Have you had, because uh, again, Power Rangers, huge community. Have you had some crossover? Have you had some some people that have come onto this and, and been really blown away by it? 
Yeah, I actually did like a poll the other day on Twitter just because I was curious. I was like, hey, how many people actually found this book from from Power Rangers? And it was remarkably like 40. I think it was like 500 people or so voted. And it was like 40 percent of the people or 43 percent of the people were from Power Rangers and 57 percent was from Rogues was from Radiant Black. So it seems like the vast majority of the people kind of came over from from reading, reading Radiant Black and sort of were interested in the massive verse and what we were doing. Um, but I do think there's a bunch of bunch of people who kind of sort of were like, you know, were curious what else I could do outside of sort of the reins of Power Rangers and, and were and hopefully liked what I did there and were just curious and came along. So um, the reaction has been fairly positive. Like I've really I don't have many people come. I mean, it's like I said, there's sort of two very strong camps. There's the people who like it, like if you either like Dylan or you don't. And um, but like I knew that going in, that was the intention. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like. Uh, so like I, I, I like to think that if, if, if you are somebody who has read the book and you're like, man, Dylan's just not a good guy. I would make the point that's kind of the point of the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are willing to, and I know that I'm aware of that, I'm not writing him being like, wow, like, what do you mean? He's not a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Blackmailing other students and doing his homework. Yeah. That's a terrible thing. Like I'm I, like, I, everybody around Dylan is telling him the things that he's doing are wrong. And, uh, and one of the things I was really excited about in the book, and it's just something I'm, it's a question I'm asking is if you force someone to do good deeds, can they become a good person? Or do they like, it's like, what makes you a good person, your inner feelings or the actions you do, you can be a jerk and do all these terrible things. Like he, so he's blackmailing kids at school, but he's saving people from burning to death on a, on a, on a streetcar. Is he a good person or not? You know, it, it's like, are is it your actions, your feelings, is it your will? It's all that stuff. So, like, I just think that's all that's the stuff that I think is really complicated and fun. So and that's the stuff that I want to explore in the book. So if you are worried about that, like and that stuff interests you, then that's the conversation we're going to have. Yeah, well, I think it goes back and we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, getting into the, the nitty gritty and diving into a deeper level. Like you were saying earlier, if the story you want to read is about some aspirational superhero, there are literally Plenty. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of stories out there for you. Yeah. This is something different that brings a different perspective and maybe will, you know, prompt you to think about superheroes in a different way. There's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Kyle said that to me when we first started on the book, he was just like, you got to take big swings. And he's like, they're not always going to land, but you, when you're doing something new and you're doing something that like people don't automatically know whether or not they're going to like He's like, you owe it to them to give them something they haven't already read, um, because if you, they have uh, other options of books that they like and know better that they can go to, you know, if they, you know, like there's Nightwing and there's Spider-Man and there's Batman and Superman. There's all the thousands of characters out there that they know. I know what I'm going to get when I pick up that mm-hmm. book. So I've, I've got to give them something. you got to try something different just to otherwise it's like, what do you what's the point? They can go read another book. And so that's that's that was the whole inspiration of the whole thing is just try and find a different story. And also these are, I think those are the characters that I like. I like, I like Dylan as a character. That's not what I'm saying that he's, what he's doing is correct, but I just like that. He's, I've always been more interested in villains. I've always been more interested in antiheroes and people who do, who say bad things, but do the right things. And, and hopefully that's something that, you know, maybe Dylan can grow into. So. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's, you, first of all, there's, um, there's this sense of, man, I never know what they're going to do next, as opposed to, you know, Superman or Green Lantern, where you can sort of predict it. Yeah. So that makes it interesting. But the other part is I can easily understand why Superman does what he does or Green Lantern or Spider-Man. I'm still trying to figure out why, you know, to your point. Right. Why is Dylan 
such a jerk basically, <laughs> but choosing to do, you know, like he could have got the sunstone and just been like a supervillain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I'm never going to go back to school. Why should I? I've got this power. I can do whatever I want, you know? Yep. And, I, still- and I will make the point that in the next arc, we are going to address that very question. Oh, that's fair. That's yeah. fantastic. Because that question was something that I, I literally designed the next arc to deal with. I knew the arc one was going to be the murder mystery. Who killed Marcus? And and can Dylan be can Dylan become a good rogue son? The second issue is the second arc is when you become a hero, how do you can you stay one? And what happens when you're faced with the repercussions of your actions? Um, is it easy? Will you will you face them or will you run away from them? Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. have the ability and the power to take the easy way out, it's why not do that? Thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you, how far it uh, like when you were planning this out? Obviously, you know, there's mm-hmm. always the, the idea of, well, if it sells well, how far can I go that, you know, there's always that the, the financial aspect. So how far out in advance did you plan? How many arcs? Um, I had the first three arcs planned out in broad strokes. Uh, it's sort of what they wanted to be, how they would work out and kind of like what the big moves would be. Um, so I have basically through issue like one, eight, six, twelve, through like 18 issues. I have sort of that all planned out. Um, I have the larger like broad strokes. I have sort of like the big questions and the big answers are, are still there. Like how I get to those and how, what exactly it's sort of the thing, right? It's like, I, I learned the, the, the hard way early on that like when I first did Volition, um, I was like, I plan that thing. at like 50 issues. I knew exactly what that was. And it, we, I got six. so i was like okay let's not do that again um and so i would when i did when i did oberon i was like a little bit more like i think i'd plan that out to like 18 or so and then i got six and so i was like all right and then with dead day i was like i planned six (laughs) (laughs) and then i got it and now they're like we got to do another one (laughs) so i i knew what i wanted to do with it but i was just like oh i didn't actually have this thing like i didn't set up the next arc so i have to kind of reintroduce what i want to do with it which is actually kind of fun because it's it's very freeing i can kind of take i can actually just sort of react to what i did before but with this one i i you know, because I be, I think that's the other thing that's nice about being in sort of share universe is like some of the the things that are that Kyle's when we all get together on a big conference call and, and Kyle tells us what he's planning to do with because Kyle is very meticulous in the way he plans and structures out his books. Um, and so he's got he's got a lot more. He's a lot farther down the road than I am. Um, and so he'll tell us what he's doing. And so I'm like, OK, so if that's happening in the world, I can't I can't just ignore that. I have that has to be a part of my story, which is nice, though, because it sort of pushes me into a corner and then I got to write my story around that or write that in that. And it's actually very similar to what happened with us on Power Rangers, where I was writing go go in a certain direction. And then he was like, OK, here's sure here's Shattered Grid. This is what you could do. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, that actually works really well thematically with the characters and the story I want to do. And then I just wrote towards that. And so that's a nice, I think when those two things happen, it's a really nice thing. So, yeah. So I planned it out pretty, pretty far in advance. I know the big stories. I know the big moves. Um, I think that thing that I'm, I'm just sort of opening, I'm just, I'm not locking it down to like, it's 36 issues and that's it is because I want to make sure that if we get to keep making it, I can find other areas that I want to, that I, that I want to explore. Um, and also sometimes like somebody does a character design and you're like, Oh, I love that character design. I'm going to bring that character back right. or a character you thought was going to be huge. You're like, eh, I don't like writing this character as much. And then you can throw them out. So like, you know, you got I think, you know, outlining is good, but leaving yourself a little bit of room to be able to grow and react to the things that people like in the book and the things that you like writing is always good. Yeah. That's a good point. I hear a lot of writers talk about 
fan reaction and, and leaving wiggle room for that. I've never had anybody, but it makes a lot of sense. I've never had anybody mention, well, yeah, I created this character, but they're actually not any fun to, to write. So yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe I'm going to truncate or I'm going to switch directions. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the shared aspect of uh, the massive verse. Obviously we're still waiting on Inferno girl uh, red from Matt groom. We have uh, the, the, the dead lucky, right. Yep. That's coming mm-hmm. up. Uh, Melissa, from Melissa Flores. Flores. Yeah. I just yeah. had a chance to connect with her today. She's going to be coming on to talk about that. She's uh, great. Then, You're going to have a good time with her. She's awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. really looking forward. Sounds very fascinating. I, I have my own uh, personal experience with survivor's guilt. So I really want to lean into that aspect of, of the dead lucky. Mm. Um, but yeah, all, all of this sort of, you know, predicated on that, that first book that kind of launched the, the massive verse, uh, Radiant Black. And I've heard Kyle say, yeah, you guys don't want to be beholden to one another. Yes, all these characters are in the same universe. There's no reason to, you know, mention it every, you know, few pages or even every issue. But it gives some freedom and some structure, it sounds like, knowing that they're that they're there and you can do some sort of crossover and you're getting a chance to work with you know, people that you're, you're friends with people yeah. in the industry. So uh, talk a little bit about um, a little bit more about when you guys get together. Like, are you thinking about planning like a yearly crossover or is it not that structured yet? What, what's it like? Um, that is depend like what, whether or not we'll have a yearly crossover, I think is dependent on sales and how that all works out. So yeah, like, sure. it's always, yeah. it's, is it something we'd like to do? I think so. I think we all really enjoyed writing Supermassive, And I think there's something cool about, and look, this is not locking anything in stone. So if anybody hears this podcast, like, you know, just like give it with a grain of salt. I think it would be really cool to be able to do an annual Supermassive. That would be a really fun thing to be able to do an event that brings all the characters together in different ways. Let's just play, play with the medium in, in interesting ways um, and find stuff that we want to do without it disrupting the stories that we want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the goal. I think we all learned the lesson from what Marvel and DC have done several times where I always look at the J. The J. Michael Straczynski's uh, Thor run and how I loved what he was doing. And then the minute they were like, and the event siege of uh, siege of Asgard, and it completely derailed his entire story. And I was like, that's not, that's not great. So we're not going to do that ever. Like I'm very, we're all very adamant about, we're never going to use an event to up sales and derail story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we all like that element. Um, but yeah, when, when we get together, it's, it's, it's really fun because what happens is we sort of just get together every, every month or so. Um, and everybody gets on a call and we just sort of all tell each other what we're doing, what we're planning, where the things are going. Um, it, it, it's one, it's like a nice little, like, Hey, it, like if they all hate it, we might throw it out. So like I have pitched stuff in that, in that, in that room. And they're like, yeah, I don't know about that. Have you thought about this? And I'm like, no, I haven't actually thought about this. And, and it's sort of, and it's realigned the story or moved me in a different direction. And, uh, and so that's really fun. Um, and I, and it's always nice just to know, you know, I think we're, we're, the nice thing is we're small enough that we can all kind of like if something happens big in another comic, we can all sort of react to it. And uh-huh. and I don't think Marvel or DC could do this because they, you know, they'd have to get every single writer. It'd be a 50, it'd be a 200 person zoom and that'd be impossible. Right. So yeah. that's the benefit of being a small mixed, a small, you know, combined universe is that we have the ability to react to each other in real time and share ideas and, and align stuff. And, you know, and like I, there's like an issue three, I was like, I needed a target practice thing for Rogue Sound. And I was like, Hey, Kyle, can I use one of your action figures? Because yeah. I know I know Marcus did the same Nathan and Marcus did the yep, same thing. Did. I was like, that'll be a fun little callback. And so, yeah, so we do that kind of stuff. And 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 so I think that's the fun. That's the really fun part it, it, at the micro level. We get to just throw in little, you know, the same the same companies, the same names, the same products to try and make it feel real. And then at the larger level, 
you know, it's always just nice to know, you know, if the if the if there's a giant asteroid flying towards the planet in his book, we should probably talk about it in Rogue Sun because, you know, they're not just going to ignore it because <laughs> it's not in the same series. So it's that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a, a lot of fun. I think the other aspect to it is super ma- the, the, the one shot super massive. It felt big and it felt like. Okay, here's an introduction to some of these other characters. And maybe if I don't know them as well as I think, I have the main series uh, to go and read. But what it allows that one shot to be is just like this big, over-the-top, action-packed, like kind of popcorn blockbuster where you don't necessarily have to flesh out or, or spend real estate, you know, get, allowing people to necessarily know, you know, who the characters are on, you know, that level that they might want to know about. So in that way, it's like, okay, maybe I've only been reading Radiant Black. I pick up Supermassive. I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait for Rogue Sun or I can't wait for Infernal Girl Red. So, yeah, you know, it, the, yeah. we got to make money to be able to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some of this is commerce. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, like in the sense that like, you know, you, you the books have to sell or they go away. Um, but the other thing that's fun is like I always remembered like when I was a kid, like when they when you'd pick up like identity crisis or one of those books it's like i remember i didn't even know who elongated man was until i picked up identity crisis and then i went and found every book i could because that character was so cool right and so like that's how you get introduced to new characters because you all of a sudden you're like wow like i never would have gone and reached out and, and sought out this book because i was comfortable in my books and buying what using little money i had but when you can do is like a crossover event that can bring stuff together and give them and let the people like oh you know like maybe somebody who was a radiant black fan who read Supermassive was like, I kind of like this Marcus guy. That's a kind of a fun story. And then they wandered into my book and that's really fun. Like that's hopefully I found, they found another story that they like and and that's the goal, right? Yeah. And it, again, it works for you guys, especially because as you said, you, you're keeping it kind of, kind of small. Yeah. Um, obviously we have, uh, we have Radiant Red now. We have uh, the upcoming Deadly Lucky. And as I mentioned, the Infernal Girl Red. Um, so you mentioned you've got three arcs planned. Uh, we're, coming up on issue seven new character being introduced that you mentioned. Uh, and then a subsequent arc after that, we still have issue five to come out where we get to see, I'm assuming Dylan's reaction to finding out that his mother's responsible for uh, the death of his father. Uh, Does, so doesn't handle it. Well, I would, Mike, I might, I will, I will. I would, yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> ex- expect him to uh, yeah. number five drops uh, on June 22nd. That's when it'll be in comic shops, everyone. Uh, so, a lot of different things upcoming in the series. Is there one thing you could point to that you don't have to necessarily spoil it if it's something we haven't talked about, but is there one thing that's coming up, a story beat or a moment or something like that where you're like, I can't wait to see how people react to this? Obviously, Gwen revealed as Cataclysm was one. Is there another one upcoming? Well, it's not a story beat, but it's something that I'm really excited about is that issue seven is going to be a, it's going to be told in a choose your own adventure style. Okay. Yeah, because I was a big fan of those books when I was a kid. And so I was like, with issue seven, I was like, there's a there's a plot point that happens in six that sort of teed up this idea of making your own decisions and and sort of like what's the right thing to do. And I was like, oh my gosh, I always love those books. I would love to do a choose your own adventure style comic where you where where Dylan has to make tough choices. And so you're dealing with a time traveling villain. So you allow this opportunity to sort of see different paths and and have the audience try and see, okay, if you don't like Dylan, you think he makes the wrong choices, see what happens if you make those choices and how, how would, how would you handle it? How would things work out? So we're doing that for, for seven, which I'm really excited about because it's, it's really fun. And uh, it just like, it's just like, you know, I've always wanted to, I was like, 
something that you could only do in a comic that would be really fun. And I thought that'd be kind of, kind of neat. So that's the big, the thing. Um, any story points? Um, there's a, there's a new villain that I'm very happy about because that I'm, that's going to be the center of the next arc that is going to be sort of a dark mirror to who Dylan is as a character. And that will hopefully really give us insight into why he does what he does and sort of the, the, dealing with sort of the res- the repercussions of that. So like I, I he's going to I'm not saying he's like the venom or the carnage or anything like that, like but it's it's not like that direct mirror thing. But like this idea of like actually this is the most I will spoil. We've seen a lot of villains that have been that are legacy villains that are that are that are Marcus oriented villains. Mm-hmm. And I've created a villain that is a Dylan oriented villain, which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, so it'll be someone who his father didn't face. Exactly. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And I love those choose your own adventures uh, as a kid too. I always cheated though, where I'd hold the page hold where the you page had to make the decision. Back, yeah. I'd turn to the new ones to read a little bit. I don't like that. Let me go back. Well, you could always tell if you held the page and you turned it and it was like only, it was like one paragraph and it didn't yeah. go all the way down. You're like, well, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go back, me go back yep. and pick something else. Yeah. Uh, but I think, God, was it, it might've, was it the Zork books where they, they would put like red herrings in there and they'd be like, you'd pick one and you'd go to read it and, and it would say there actually isn't the a blue gem of healing in this book. We know you're cheating. Oh, no, really? I didn't know yeah. that. That's cool. I, yeah. I want to say it was, I want to say it was Zork, but I'm not hundred percent, but yeah, we do. We do one thing in this book that I've always wanted to see a trees or an adventure do. Uh, I won't tell you what it is because it spoils it, but um, when the book comes out, we can maybe talk about it, but yeah. Yeah. D- yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been great talking about rogue son. Uh, I hope you're all reading it, everybody. I hope there were at least a few of you that paused it, went and read the first four and then came <laughs> back. And we're probably like, oh, my God, I have to immediately go back and listen to what Ryan's saying. How could he make Dylan's mom, uh, Barkas's ex-wife, the, the 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 person that killed him? But, yeah, like you said, big swings. Hopefully going to keep trying. Uh, that's the goal. I actually have a call with Kyle for this weekend because I, I have to talk about what the next arc is and I want to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. So, yeah, that's the goal. Hopefully just keep trying to do new things and 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 tell stories that 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 do keep you guessing, because I feel like the minute we get into it, it's like I think some people go to certain comic books for a certain structure and a certain like I want to hang out with these characters. I want to see this. And so they don't want big swings. They don't like they want they want the comfort food of hanging out with the characters that they love and the stories that they love. And I think that what we're trying to do is hopefully give you something a little bit different with a little bit, that's a little bit more unpredictable. Yeah. It's it's definitely been working so far. So, uh, well, we mentioned you're finishing up your, uh, your power Rangers run with uh, 100. Uh, so it gives you a little bit of bandwidth. No, we have other projects you're working on. That- oh, I wish I had bandwidth, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of the reasons that, uh, that Power Rangers was, was coming to the end was that I have a lot of other projects that are starting to sort of come up and and stuff in film and TV and animation and, and not just comic books. So it's just trying to figure out a way to do all those at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I have some really fun pro- comic book projects that are that are sort of outside the Power Ranger world that are that are fun to do that I'm finally getting a chance to actually be able to do. So hopefully in the in the next few months that'll stuff will be announced too well cool we'll definitely have you on uh, when those announcements start dropping uh and i and you mentioned it yourself so i i have to bring it up dead day was was optioned any any news anything you can try i know how slowly things move on right. tv and film side but uh, any hints anything you can tell us 
Uh, no, I, I've talked to Kevin and Julie several times. Um, I love what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of really clever things that they're doing. It's really fun to see someone else's interpretation of, of the, of the world that you created and seeing how they, how they do it. And like somebody like, I'm like, Oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> there's like some really great stuff that they, that they had and they saw from the outside that I love. So, um, it's going slow. I don't actually know what the timetable is right now, but, um, hopefully, you know, maybe hopefully by the end of the year, we'll see something, but yeah, it, they're, they're the best collaborators I could possibly have asked for. And I, I can't wait for people to see what they did. Cause I think it's better than anything I wrote. So. Well, I can't wait to see some pictures of you on set when it's actually being filmed <laughs> and you get a chance Good to, man. <laughs> to go and inhabit the, the world of dead day and, uh, and looking forward to, uh, another series of, of dead day from aftershock. Yeah. Working on that right now. In fact, I'm behind and I already got an email from editor saying, where's my outline. So yeah, I'm going to go work on that right now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll let you go so you can get at that uh, real quick before you go remind everybody where's the best place to follow you uh, online and get news about Ryan Parrott stuff. Uh, the best place is probably still Twitter for now. Uh, I, I'm not, I haven't broken down and done a, done a newsletter or anything of like that just cause I'm too lazy, but yeah, it's at, it's at that Ryan Parrot two R's and two T's. And that is the place that I probably talk the most and give weird musings about Kenobi and stuff like that. So, yeah. And so occasionally talk about my comic books. Yeah. Hold to hold some Twitter polls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, again, Ryan, thanks so much. Great catching up. Everybody, if you're looking for uh, Ryan's Twitter, having trouble finding it, just go to the show notes. I'll put a link there. You can click uh, and find it and definitely pick up Rogue Sun. Get caught up. Uh, if you've listened to this and allowed us to spoil it for you, get caught up because we did not talk about uh, what the react Dylan's reaction is going to be. So you definitely want to get on board and get caught up before uh, June 20. Uh, yes, June 22nd, when the next issue comes out, you want to uh, be on board. And of course, we'll keep talking about it spoiler free on New Comics Wednesdays. Uh, and Ryan, again, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You listeners, we appreciate you as well. Thanks for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.